Welcome, guys. It is the RBT Podcast, Episode 3. Today, we are talking up everything about setting up a fat loss nutrition plan. Um, ben, what's up, buddy? Uh, I'm good, man. I think we're going to hit 40 degrees probably sometimes on this podcast, so uh, let's hope the air cons don't break. I've actually got lights on me as well, so I reckon it's like 45 in here. Um, mate, mate uh, you, you got nothing until you put deep heat on your shoulders. So I don't know why. I decided to put deep heat on and some fumes are coming up into my eyes. <laughs> so if you, start, if you start crying on the podcast, it's not because of the fat loss diet. It's just because oh, you put deep heat in your eyes. I'm glad you were 10 minutes late. I was crying. I was like, you know, just <laughs> wiping off the tears going, well, who does this? So today, guys, we're going to be covering energy expenditure. So we're going to go through essentially TDEE, BMR, NEAT, PAL, TEF, um, basically everything what that means. <laughs> we won't talk. You, just you like did that, the acronyms thing. <laughs> we won't just talk acronyms, guys. We'll actually uh, explain what's going on. Um, no more acronyms for the rest of the No more acronyms. That's it. <laughs> we'll talk about how to create a calorie deficit once we understand energy expenditure. Then we'll talk about how to build your nutrition plan. And we'll talk about essentially with that nutrition plan, what it looks like to... Um, you know, do it over a 16 week sort of period and what that understands like the, um, how to like cycle the calories down or up if you hit plateaus or what's going on. We'll talk about some diet breaks in there some adjustments and nutrient density. So it is going to be a big podcast. Um, I'm glad we are in the festive spirit today. Um, but we'll try and not go too in depth with everything. So you can at least walk away with this podcast going great. I understand how to actually set up a fat loss diet. I understand what to happens if um, essentially I hit a plateau and I also understand, you know, how to essentially build this nutrition plan so I can follow it. And I think that's one of the biggest things. So man, like energy expenditure. Now, what is that? It's a big, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, let's just set the scene here. So basically when we're talking about fat loss, um, what we really need to be achieving is uh, to be taking in less than we're expending over the course of a given time period. Okay. We often do think about it from a daily perspective because that just suits the human brain. But one of the things that I know that you and I will sort of segue into uh, across this discussion is thinking a little bit bigger than that. Cause that's often where we see a bit of a downfall with clients struggling is that they get stuck in their minutiae, you know, thinking about the little things, worrying that they stuffed up a day and more talking about it in terms of like a, a weekly setup and that, uh, that lends itself to a greater sense of uh, flexibility and, and life in quotation marks uh, being able to do what's needed to be done. But when we're, when we're sort of want to start this discussion, we really need to basically just let everyone know that the, the aim here for fat loss is to uh, consume an amount of food uh, that basically uh, provides less energy than the amount of energy you're going to uh, expend over the course of time. 100% man. And I completely agree with this. I think the biggest thing where I really like is the, to create a fat loss diet, you, the principle... Okay, so there's two different things. The principle is a calorie deficit. Then the method, I don't care. Um, so the principle is the calorie deficit. The method is so individualized to the person. So you can do that through keto, through paleo, through you know vegetarian, being a vegan, through you know intermittent fasting is a method to help the calorie restriction. Like we're going to talk about all this later in the podcast. But for everyone to listen to it right now, the principle that actually is the overarching feature. Um, that's going to help you with fat loss diet is essentially a calorie deficit. And it all comes down to your, your metabolism. Obviously, we burn a certain amount of calories every single day. That's your basal metabolic rate. 
Now we add in layers on top of that, which is your, your need, which is essentially your non-exercise activity levels. Um, now that's fidgeting, that's moving, that's, you know, some walking goes in there. It's like you just living your day. Um, then essentially there's your physical activity levels. That's your training. That is very small amount of the calories in a day. So you, now when they say you can't out train a bad diet, it's like, you know, your physical activity levels are so small. So you can't just eat in this huge amount of calories and think you can out train it. And then there's the thermic effect of food. So, you know, that's the amount your metabolism lifts for essentially digesting the food that you're eating. And essentially that comes down into your total daily energy expenditure. And I think that's the biggest thing you have to understand. Your, your body like combining all those things together is your total daily energy expenditure. And if we consume less calories than that, we'll start to trend in the right direction over time. Is that correct, Benny? Yeah, I love it, man. And like just to... Um add to what you just uh, provided details on there's some things in there that um, individuals can control okay mm. so one of the things when it comes to fat loss you know we know that we see this um a lot of the times we see this victim mindset or this almost almost overwhelmed mindset because of um previous failures you know in the, in the history so you know um when it comes to you, you mentioned neat, you know that non-exercise activity thermogenesis. That's like the fidgeting, the walking, the all the other stuff that's not training. Um, that's something that we can, you know, is highly variable between individuals. But it's also something we've got control over. And probably one of the um, the the earliest bits of like homework or, or or challenge that we like to give to a client is to just start gathering that data on themselves and actually see how much they do or don't move. And it's Man. very very insightful when all of a sudden someone realizes, you know, you've got steps trackers on your phones. This is something that's very easy to do. Yeah. Um, but if someone's doing, you know, 1500 steps a day and you know, you see their jaw dropping going, Oh my God, I had no idea. Like that's where I sat in terms of, you know, um, you know, the average person walking, I'm way off the, you know, that side of the scale. I don't do much of it whatsoever. Um, and so then it's about, putting into place the right set of behaviors or, you know, activities to um, look at controlling some of these, uh, these inputs. A lot of it is just behaviors, man. So when we look at NEAT, NEAT does play a bit of a factor in there. We want to hit about, um, you know, a minimum about 7,000 steps a day. Like that's a goal for most people. If you can hit a minimum seven and go above that, okay, fantastic. We're not a set entry individual. Um, but for me, when I moved from, when I was being a PT, I'd walk like 20 to 30,000 steps a day without even thinking, like even trying. Uh, moving into mainly, you know, sitting at a desk right now uh, for the last couple of years, I didn't really track it. And I was, then I started tracking again. I was walking some days like 3,000 steps or 4,000 yeah. steps. I'm like, wow, my, the amount of calories I burn on a daily basis is probably about 700 calories less because I went from 20,000 to like three, 4,000. So that's huge. That's a massive difference. So for me, I still, I only still get about 8,000, 9,000 steps a day because I don't like, I make sure I do that on a weekly basis. So for me, I look at it over a week. Some days I'll still only hit 4,000 and some days I'll push a little bit further to like 10, 12. And we talked about this on the other podcast, like, you know, going to the zoo on the weekends, I know I'm going to hit a good 15,000 steps and it rounds out my weekly step count. 
But, but the biggest thing for me is structuring my day to make sure I do hit my needs. So I know that productivity wise, I work great in like these 90 minute flow cycles. So at the end of every 90 minutes, I get up from my desk, I walk around the block and I come back down. And it means I've got about, you know, four walks a day and I leave my office and I've already hit my 7,000 steps and I go, okay, cool. I'm on track. I'm doing what I need to do to at least get my minimum um, non-exercise activity um, levels going. Yeah. And um, look, just to you know, briefly discuss some of the other components of what you talked about is, uh, like you said, with the training aspect, training is probably overestimated in terms of the caloric expenditure that most people think they're getting from it. Um, I don't mind the gamification of it. Like, you know, there's, yeah. there's apps and wearables now, which will sort of, or even the machines that you're on, if it's a cardio piece of equipment, sometimes they'll give you a bit of a, a, uh, an average of the output that they think that you're going through. Um, whilst they may not be accurate, you can, that's a whole nother discussion. I think what it does is create some kind of awareness. And if you don't get too stuck in the details of it, at least what you're doing is you're going to see over time, uh, you, what, if your outputs, you know, increasing, decreasing, or, you know, what you're capable of. Uh, when it comes to the basal metabolic rate, which you sort of mentioned right at the start, you know, that's got to do with our, you know, our body weight and, um, you know, to a certain degree, our muscle mass. Okay. So when uh, anyone who's listening to the podcast, if they've heard someone say that it's better to have more muscle than fat because it burns more calories. Okay. And uh, that is true to a degree. It's highly, uh, it's much more metabolically active. And so therefore, when we train and we'll get through this, because obviously this is a nutrition podcast, even though we're sort of setting the scene, <laughs> um, why we want to maintain muscle as we're dieting, okay? The worst case scenario for most people listening to this is going to be to drop muscle mass uh, as they're going through their diet. And I think that's the biggest thing, right? And we're going to talk about that on the podcast today is like, where do you think your macronutrients should be protein, fats, and carbs to try and, um, and your calorie levels. So you try and minimize muscle mass loss as much as possible whilst trying to drop body weight. Cause there's two different things, right? Dropping body weight's really easy, but we want to try and eat as much food as possible to drop body fat and try and retain as much lean muscle mass. And yes, it comes down to the training you're, you're doing as well. Um, so it's not doing, you know, again, this is another podcast um, about the training and what to do over 16 weeks, but it's making sure you're getting your, your strength training in and you're getting heavy lifting in there. But when we're looking at this, we have to understand what is our total daily energy expenditure before we can set up a fat loss diet because you know we need to know what's going on with you like someone who's weighing 100 kilos um or versus 60 kilos and it doesn't even matter really with the muscle mass like someone who's 100 kilos is going to burn more calories on a daily basis and then we can start to diet them down so they can get to 90 80 70 kilos um but someone who's like 52 kilos had clients in the past they have to they actually their you know basal metabolic rate is pretty low at the start because they're just a small human um, so it yeah. doesn't take as much calories to run their body on a daily basis. So I think you just have to understand that as well. Yeah. And, you know, again, just to sort of go further on that, I, I think this is a comment that I want to make just based on um, most people are on social media these days. Uh, and one of the things that I've seen um, become very prolific throughout uh, the uh, sort of influences, like the fitness influences is, um, they will uh, sort of brag about how much food they're eating whilst they're getting lean or look what I can yeah. get away with on my diet. And I think we talked about this in a lot, one of the podcasts yeah. about the, com you know, that, um, uh, you know, that, com uh, sorry, comparison is the, uh, comparison. the thief yeah. of joy. Right. And it's literally, um, 
look, that social media is a, like a sliver into, of insight into that person's life. Uh, a lot of the time, it's not even true. It's complete garbage and rubbish. Uh, and the second thing, uh, uh, sorry, the last thing is to um, say that everyone is highly different. Okay, so we all fall on one, you know, uh, somewhere along the spectrum. There just are people that, generally speaking, have um, a, you know, a faster metabolic rate. Uh, their body defends them from accumulating fat uh, much harder than others. Uh, they have a higher level of energy expenditure through the things like meat and that kind of thing as well. So, um, yeah, the, the method that you use to go ahead and start like looking into this, maybe we can discuss a few of those now, because one of the things that is really important is just tracking and measuring in nearly every aspect of what we're talking today is one of the reasons people fail is they don't appreciate the success along the way, or they just can't, um, gauge what does and doesn't work. It becomes this subjective kind of, Oh, I don't feel like it's working. So I stopped. Okay. Yeah. Like kind of the thing. biggest thing, like people will say to me, um, because at the start, I'll get them to do like a bit of a food journal and we can go into like the steps afterwards and I'll skim start tracking the calories after that. And then people will say, oh, but I don't like tracking calories. And then I have to sort of sit down with them and say, well, oh, it's obsessive to track calories. I'm like, no, like, you know, you're going towards a goal. So you're currently at point A, not at your goal. You want to get to point B to your goal. So you can only manage what you measure. So if you're trying to go on a holiday or you're trying to buy your, your, your girlfriend an engagement ring and you need to save up $10,000, do you, you know, essentially save each week and do you measure your savings to be able to get to the point where you can afford the ring? 100% you do. You look at essentially your weekly income, which could be you know, your total daily energy expenditure. If you spend more than your income, then one, you're not going to have savings. And two, like if we're looking at a fat loss perspective, you're going to gain fat. So we want to be in that calorie deficit. So we want to have those savings on a weekly basis um, so we can afford that ring. And for us, we want to have that calorie deficit on a weekly basis so we can drop body fat continuously. Now, once you have tracked calories and you've got to your goal over a prolonged period of time and you can more you understand um, what calories are, you understand what food is, you understand what makes you feel great, what you understand you know, you know, the, the amount of meals you eat in a day, then you can move away from counting calories. So you don't have to do it forever, um, but then you can move into an intuitive style eating and we'll talk about that um, down the track as well. But I just want to put this up for anyone who's turned off counting calories at the start. It's like you need to measure what you are trying to manage. Um, and it doesn't have to be calories, it can be portions, but the easiest way to start with is to measure your calories coming in so you can understand, okay, great. Well, my metabolic rate, because you might go, you might put in a formula, right? So you might use a cash Mercado formula or something like that. And I understand your body fat and it's like, okay, cool, your BMR, your basal metabolic rate is, is sitting at like 2,000 calories, but then you start tracking and your food and it's like, oh no, like, I'm actually have to eat a lot less to start losing weight because the formula was incorrect. And unless you're tracking your calories, you wouldn't have known that. And I think that's such a crucial thing to do. So, um, Yes, you can create a formula or you can do a food tracker. Um, but, you know, for us, we need to have a, like, understand how many calories we're doing on eating on a daily basis. And I think you can go to um, tdee.com. I think you can just like see for, for a basic formula. I'm pretty sure that's it. And you can understand what your calories are and you can put in a couple of details and it spits you out um, essentially amount of calories. But that's not the best way always to do as well. So which way do you do? Do you do a food log to start with, Ben, and just get people to track what they eat for seven days? Or that is a way that we've done it in the past? Yeah, okay, cool. So look, there's um, 
two ways to sort of answer this question. One is um, in, in a group setting and the other one would be like working with someone one-on-one. Mm. Obviously working with someone one-on-one lends itself to a, a lot more customization and individualization, which they're paying for your service. Uh, and in a group training environment, it's a little bit different. So uh, when it comes to measuring or tracking in calories, all we're really talking about is a system of um, measurement here. And people do have a... Uh, uh, a kickback against uh, the word calories more than anything else. But to use an analogy, like it would be like if you needed to get better with your finances, um, you would want to count your money in dollars. <laughs> you wouldn't want to throw coins into jars and, and kind of go, that looks like 150 bucks. That one looks like it's got about 200 bucks. Um, and I'm being facetious, but like, that's what I'm, that's, we know that if, you know, you were doing finances, no one would have an issue with counting, counting dollars. Okay. Um, because when it comes to, to port, like going by portions, there are some people that are just better at picking portions. Uh, they you know, um, they, that intuitively do it better or like you said, and what you and I both see is the people that uh, tend to put in the homework first, get, they elevate their nutrition IQ. They've just been good. They've done it for years. They've achieved success. They may have been using calories for a while. And then what happens is they can basically eyeball things much better and make better decisions um, utilizing portions. You know, that's pretty much what I do for the most part, except when I have to tighten up the ship and go back and, um, you know, weigh a few things out and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, yeah, yeah, that objection to the word calories and the system of calories is um, it's usually just based on, you know, someone coming with a hang up about um, having to put in that amount of effort. Okay. Yeah, I, completely, so, I completely agree, man. Um, keep going. Yeah. So when it comes to uh, what you were talking about then was it just finding the maintenance calories. So when Travis says TDEE, which I said, we weren't going to use acronyms. Uh, what we're really saying is uh, the maintenance amount of calories. So that is basically whereby uh, if you ate that much food, so the calories that equated to that, it, technically speaking, uh, you probably wouldn't gain weight nor lose weight. Okay. So it's kind of like a maintenance amount of food that equals the amount of energy that you expend over the course of time. Uh, so obviously for the sake of this podcast, and we're talking about fat loss, we're talking about creating an uh, energy deficit from there, but to learn that maintenance amount for you, you can do a couple of things. You can do a food diary, which in and of itself, we both like because it's homework that yes. teaches people a bit about the things that they're doing. And all of a sudden they go, oh my God, like there was four snacks today that I would never have told my coach. Because when I, when I said to him, I said, yeah, I eat breakfast, lunch and dinner, that's it. I don't know why I'm not losing weight. But all of a sudden when they have to start tracking for themselves, the little things that, that they don't actually remember start come to the forefront. So that bit of homework's really nice. It's pretty crazy, um, man. Like with that, like I find it interesting when you give someone a seven day food journal, all of a sudden, you know, they lose weight over that week when they haven't lost weight. They're like four or six weeks previous. Yeah. Like what happened? They're like, Oh, I didn't have the pizza and the ice cream on the weekend. Yeah. I was tracking it. I was like, Oh, okay, cool. So just so we understand you could lose weight before, but you were just being an asshole with your food. Um, yeah. it's, just, it's just understanding <laughs> that. So like, yeah. You know, it's, it is tracking though what you normally would eat because we need to understand, okay, are you gaining or losing weight based on the diet you're currently following? And then we can start to give input on, okay, cool, on a daily average, you ate this many calories. Um, and we can create the deficit or um, keep them where they're at essentially based on did they lose weight in the week? Is that correct? 
Yeah, that is that basically to a degree like that, that, you know, I've done that with clients and, and our members before uh, gone by what they give you. There are inherent problems with um, food journaling. You know, people yeah. do forget things and that's a whole nother discussion, but it does work. It is one method. The other one is to use um, some form of a pre-existing calculation. You mentioned, um, I think you mentioned Catch Mercado before. Um, there's, you know, Harris Benedict, the Mifflin equation. So if you just literally typed in you know, how to cal- calculate my calories into any search engine on the internet, you're pretty much going to come up with a bunch of websites that utilize one of those. Some of them just need height and weight and age. Uh, others um, might ask you for the lean body mass that you have. So you, in that case, you would need some kind of um, uh, like an in-body scanner or a DEXA, some bioimpedance thing that's kind of distinguishing between your lean mass and your fat mass. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you no matter who you are, one of those ways uh, will work for you. And then you have the first bit of information you need, uh, which is a starting point, which is basically what you would uh, eat for maintenance. From there, it's about setting the deficit. So with this, man, like, you know, some people will go towards more. Um, so we're creating a deficit. Um, some people want to go towards more, you know, bigger deficits. And some people go towards minor deficits. Like a, if I just say I'm going to go on a 10% deficit for my, my maintenance, um, do you think that will give me enough um, visual motivation um, with the fast enough fat loss for me to stick to my plan? Um, what do you like? Do you like 10%, 20% to kick someone off, 30%? Obviously, it's based on goals. Um, but what do you would you normally do for the general population? Yeah, look, I would, any of those numbers works and it's all about context. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but I had, to, I had to just preface it with that. So, you know, I remember we had Ryan on the podcast last week, right? Mm. And him and I take a little bit of a different approach with our clients. We often discuss like, you know, all the um, successes and, and, and teachings that we have with our clients. And he puts uh, many of his clients into a larger deficit to um, kickstart them than I do. And it probably reflects our market, our niche, the type of people that are coming to us. And he um, has, there's so much validity into his rationale behind doing so in that he creates that mindset. So I, I won't put the numbers out. I'm not too, I don't want to put modes in his mouth because I can't remember the exact figures that he uses, but uh, for argument's sake, let's just say maybe it's a 30% caloric deficit to start with. So taking that maintenance uh, and just subtracting 30% and we will talk about what that food looks like in a second when we talk about protein, yeah. carbs and fats. Um, but now the body has no choice but to fill that gap. And by doing so, we want it to, um, you know, tap into our body fat stores and to supply us with that energy in the process we are getting leaner. Uh, but the, there are pros and cons for both. So when we go with a more severe deficit, okay, basically uh, it means that we're going to run into the physiological adaptations that one gets in a diet. And what I mean by that is you get hungry. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You, you may get more cravings. Uh, your body is going to want to naturally do things that you may or may not realize, meaning um, slow down, stop moving so much. Okay, so these are some of the things it does to conserve uh, that fat drop. Okay, so when people, again, to use quotation marks, sort of say, uh, my body's resisting, it doesn't want to drop fat, that kind of thing. Um, a lot of the time, some of these physiological adaptations, are, they're very hard to notice unless you're uh, aware of them. Okay? <clears throat> and using a step counter, for instance, is a, uh, you know, one ways in which you can actually start to look at things like that. Uh, so 
a more mild deficit of say 10%, which is a starting point, which I've used for many, many of my clients, uh, whilst it doesn't lend itself to a huge result straight off the bat, it still means that our starting point of food intake is relatively high, okay, which allows you know, a greater diversity or consumption of foods in general uh, and, and sort of going from there. So with this, like there's two main hormones and we don't want to talk too much about hormones today, but I want you to just talk about the two main hormones, right? There's leptin and ghrelin. So if you do go in, there is the physiological changes that happen inside a diet um, over time and they can happen faster with a more severe deficit. So, you know, I think the biggest thing is we want to have some results at the start because, which is sometimes why a food journal doesn't work because people are like, no, I don't want to track for seven days. I want to start losing weight now. Like, give me, give me what I need to eat. Um, or you'll see the people go, can I just, like the other reason why you can't just follow the new weekly or men's health diet as well because all diets are individual to the person because different um, essentially like, you know, total daily energy expenditures. And that's why you can't do that. But you know, for everyone, again, it's you want to diet down, eating as much calories as you possibly can, but still getting the results. And I think that's when it comes down to coach to coach to make sure we're getting the end outcome. But if we do diet slightly faster, we can get a little bit more hungry and we can get um, a little bit more resistance faster to losing fat. Again, depends on the individual tool um, into to what, how fast they, their body happens. But what happens with leptin? If you can give me a super... Um, surface level understanding what <laughs> what happens with leptin essentially as I start to cut calories. Yeah, so basically, leptin is a hormone that um, our body fat stores signal to the brain to let us know how much fuel we have. Okay, so when we think of fat being fuel, the calories providing energy uh, and that kind of thing. So when we start to lose fat or we enter into a diet and the body's perceiving that there's a gap that is being filled here, which is you burning off extra body fat. Uh, basically, uh, we that that you know that signal changes as such, and the body will try and defend uh, that fat being dropped through some of the things that we talked about just before. So these adaptations of things like hunger, cravings, uh, lowering movement. Um, uh, you know, it, to go into a little bit of a deeper level, it does affect some of your other hormones. So it interacts with the the thyroid hormone, which sort of governs our metabolic rate. So we do get this uh, slowing of the metabolic rate to a degree. Okay, I don't want to sort of go into that because <laughs> it heads us into this conversation about hormones being more important yeah. than calories and everyone gets emotions. Yeah. Uh, but I think we can probably leave it at that. that it, basically what happens when you diet is that the harder you diet, uh, the more you're going to run into these issues of uh, moving less and uh, being more hungry. I think the biggest thing when we look at that, I don't think people look at it under the, to the understanding of it, like you're literally breaking down like your body. Okay, so you know, like your body doesn't want to break itself down. It does, like we're used to these feast and famine periods um, and we want to hold on to the body fat that we have. We don't want to get smaller and smaller because we still don't know if we're going to go through a famine period soon. So what happens is if you're eating less and it signals that I'm actually starting to break down my stores, it's like slow down the metabolic rate, slow down like I don't want to do this and that's when it starts to fight back. And I guess the other hunger hormone that comes in is like that ghrelin, right? So ghrelin makes you want to feel that like the rumbling in your stomach. It's making you hungrier and hungrier. And the longer you diet, you feel like sometimes, you know, anyone who's died for a prolonged period, prolonged, prolonged period of time um, starts to get hungrier and hungrier because of that signaling starts to increase. Um, and I think for 
the hormone side of things is as deep as we want to go today. But just so you have a base understanding, it's like your body does want to fight back against your dieting. Um, but you can also have protocols in place to continue to move past this, which is what we'll talk about diet breaks and pushing yeah. plateaus later in the podcast. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, I suppose that's why we just trying to keep this simple. When we talk about the body tries to defend that against that fat loss, because it doesn't quite have the same goal that you have no. right? about just dropping off all this fat and being lean. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't quite work like that. Um, but as long as you're aware of these are natural changes, they're not inherently an issue to you. You know what I mean? For you to take that victim kind of mindset. Uh, and the, Whilst there are many things you can do in terms of the way you go about it, the way you design your training, the way you design your rest and recovery and stress management, and the way you design your nutrition, they can all help to try and minimize the, um, the struggle or the hardship yeah. here. But dieting doesn't have to be easy either. This is what I can't stand is like, there's a lot of people trying to make money and diet books out there and all these methods, right? It's never principles that make the money of the, the diet <laughs> books that have come out in January, 2020. It's all methods, right? Yep. Come and do my method. Um, and then the testimonial, I lost weight and didn't feel like I was dieting at all and all this kind of stuff. And in reality, it doesn't work like that for everyone all the time. There are some really basic strategies and behaviors that you can put in place to do the best you can. But it doesn't mean that you get away with um, uh, having to have the body of your dreams without ever having a hunger pain. No, you don't get that. You don't get the car of your dreams or the house of your dreams without sacrificing either. Right. So that's, that's right. Nice. Yeah. And, and a coach to, to bring it back to this, sorry, I know you, we sort of headed off, but to bring it back to that small deficit versus a large deficit. So like an aggressive diet versus one that's a little bit more slower. I want everyone to, out here to understand that if you do have a coach, your coach is constantly walking the tightrope here. Okay. Yeah. And I want you to appreciate this um, from their behalf is that they're trying to go, they want you to have patience. They want you to do this in a way which minimizes some of these things we're talking about. And we know that uh, when someone does lose weight over you know, quite an extended period of time, they keep it off better because they've given themselves time to build up the identity, behaviors, uh, and everything that goes along with keeping that weight off. Okay. Whereas, you know, um, conversely, when someone, you know, um, crash diets or aggressively diets, oftentimes what happens, it, it, it ends all of a sudden and we don't have that same level of commitment, mindset, or identity associated with it as well. And so, the coach is trying to have the discussion with you to keep you happy with the success you're achieving, but yep. without pushing your body into a world of hurt. Does, does that make sense? Oh, hundred percent, man. It's very easy to make someone lose weight, but then they yeah. can, adhere, can they adhere to it? One, um, psychologically. <laughs> well, well how, how many clients have you and I had over the years that um, have uh, pushed themselves into an, an absolute world of hurt from aggressive dieting? Oh, Do you know what I mean? Man. Like, but also we couldn't even count it. Yeah, but they also stuff themselves up long term because now they start to have um, a, a negative relationship with food. Um, so I think you know, again, not going into that too much in detail today, but you want to try and go into a diet whilst maintaining a positive relationship with all macronutrients. And I think we can probably segue into macronutrients. Um, you know, there's, you can't demonize protein. You can't demonize fats. You can't demonize carbs. Like they all serve their purpose inside a diet at specific times, sometimes higher and lower. Um, and you can't demonize alcohol either. 
Okay. Cause like, you know, cause there's going to be alcohol in a lot of people's lives, not everyone's, but a lot of people's lives because of social occasions. So all they are is, you know, essentially macronutrients. Um, and you, like you have to understand, okay, how do these macronutrients come together inside my calorie plan? So I can go, okay, what, how much to eat and what do I eat and how to preserve lean muscle tissue and how do I drop as much fat as possible? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that just sort of takes us in. What we're talking about is what contributes to the input, the intake, the diet, the food. Okay. So that's um, basically one of the ways we talked about in, in terms of that achieving the best result. Okay. So maximizing your retention of your lean muscle mass because losing your lean muscle mass is basically bad. Okay. In whatever uh, way you want to look or analyze it. It's basically something that we really don't want to do. Okay. Uh, and, um, to add to that, the way that we set up the diet, the macronutrients that we use, um, and the way that we organize the, the meals and the structure can assist with, um, you know, the compliancy. Okay. Sort of settling on a certain amount of flexibility and, um, uh, the hunger and the craving side of things as well. Mm. So when we're looking at this, so if we can go into like um, protein, right? So well, we can go overarching, like we understand that protein is four grams, or like this is rounding as well. So this is not specifics, four grams, four calories per gram, carbs are four calories per gram, fats are nine calories per gram, alcohol is seven calories per gram because it is its own macronutrient essentially. Um, when we're looking at this, when we look at these three macronutrients, like the protein, fats and carbs, which is the one that we look at first, like what is the primary nutrient? Yeah, it's, it's protein. Uh, and the reason for that is protein has a excellent amount of satiety. Okay. So it keeps us full. It stabilizes our blood sugar levels. Uh, it is um, something that we basically keep stable across the duration of a dieting phase. Okay. So it is less manipulated than the other two macronutrients that being carbohydrate and fat. Because uh, we've shown that at, at, at least minimum intakes of protein based on your, your, your body weight, basically, and your yep. exercise um, volume slash intensity, uh, there are benefits to keeping this minimum intake, okay, so um, to, to, to maximize your results. So the RDA is like 0 0.8 grams per kilo. Um, now, that's pretty low right? Like I, I don't, um, I don't, do you recommend following the recommended dietary um, requirements of protein as far as the Australian government or do you, would you say go slightly higher than that? Yeah, definitely higher. I mean, look, when we're talking about the RDA, we're talking about, you know, basically sedentary people. So non-active, non-physically training um, individuals, completely different set of, um, uh, you know, um, things for someone who's training four to five times per week. So pretty much across the board, most uh, sports nutrition uh, agencies and, and, and resources will look at somewhere between, uh, you know, 1.6 to 2.2 grams of protein um, per kilo body weight. Uh, that seems to be a very reasonable figure uh, for most people. You can make an argument for a little bit lower and you can make an argument for a little bit higher. 
you definitely can. But when we're talking about just the basics here for um, the type of people listening to this podcast, those are some numbers you can work with. And what about like, I know some people don't want to become like some form of um, person living in the matrix trying to design a meal plan right now. Can you go into some percentages? If you can have just a rough percentages for protein, fats and carbs to kick someone off, or would you prefer specifically always to start them with, let's look at protein intake first, let's go 1.6 to 2.2 um, and set that up and then go to um, fats and then go to carbs after that. Do you like to do the specifics? Yeah, so I don't normally work in percentages. I can. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, you, for protein intake, you would be probably looking at around about, uh, you know, 25 to 40%. Around about that range is what it's going to come to. Um, it could potentially be on the lower side when there is a quite a decent amount of carbohydrates in the diet. Okay, so for someone uh, who, you know, has a lot of carbohydrates within their um, um their framework of their diet, it, that lends itself to getting away with consuming less protein, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and vice versa, okay? So when the carbohydrates are lower, you know, that would be a valid reason for you to consider the upper end of the um, ranges we discussed for protein intake there, okay? Mm -hmm. But the way I do things um, for most individuals would be to just do the steps that we've talked about. So just to come back to the start, uh, look at the maintenance intake, set the deficit, uh, coming down to the macronutrients, look at the protein intake. Protein. And then I generally go to the fat. Okay. Yeah. And there's just a little bit of a reason there in that um, there are some, uh, there's some interplay between fat and our hormones and cholesterol. So some certain physiological things that happen in the body that really do need a, a um, at least a minimum amount of fat. Uh, and so when it comes to fat intake, for most people that might be between 0.5 to 1.0 gram per kilo body weight. Um, and part of the designation to this would be gathering the food preferences of the individual. Yeah. Okay. So when you look at their food diary, um, when you ask them a questionnaire based on what foods they like, you're going to see whether or not, um, this person may like some extra, uh, calories allotted towards their fat intake, yeah. or if it's, they're very much a, a card carbohydrate dominant, um, preferences. Yeah, definitely. I think, and then it's setting up the diet for them so they can enjoy uh, or be adhere, adhere to the diet as much as possible, right? So when we're looking at this, so to understand, you know, we set up our calories and we're going into our protein. We understand how much we weigh. So you do need to know how much you weigh, guys, listening to this. Um, so body weight in kilos um, times that by 1.6 to 2.2. Like that's a, there's a bit of a variance for you to go in there. And that will give you the amount of grams. And then you can times that by four and that's the amount of protein calories essentially that you'd have. Um, then we're going to the next step, which is essentially our fat calories. So we have our body weight in kilos. Again, we don't want to go under 0.5 for essentially our hormone functions, but 0.5 to one. If you you know love the carb-based foods, if you, you know, enjoy rice, if you enjoy potatoes, if you enjoy pasta, I um, mean you like you really love it, um, then you know, maybe go on the lower end. And if you like more fattier foods, like you can go on the higher end of the recommendation. But again, so it's like my body weight in kilos times 0.5. Um, then I want to times that obviously by my fat. So when we're looking at our fats, you know, we're looking at that nine calories. So you times that by nine. And it gives me my calories for my fats. And then all of a sudden I have some, my calories left over. Okay. So then all my calories that I have left over. So I have my protein calories. I have my fat calories and I can minus those two amounts of calories off 
my, my essentially my daily calorie allotment, and then I would give me a, an amount of calories left. Now I can divide those calories by four, um, and that would give me like my carbs on a daily basis. Is that how you'd set it up, Ben? Yeah. And in fact, I really think that most sports nutritionists these days set it up in a very similar way. It's really some variation of what we just said that I think it's most commonly done these days. Um, but just to touch on a few points here for people that are doing it themselves. Um, and this is something I, that I, I teach to trainers when they're, they're talking yeah. about nutrition with their clients as well is a lot of people are scared as where to start. <laughs> okay. They, they've, they've come up with this number and they've spent five minutes in the, on, on you know, Google and this and that. And it yeah. says 1800 calories. That's where you need to start. <laughs> and then there's this, Oh my God, is that right? Or should I do 1900? Maybe I should do 1700. And so there's, uh, all I would say is this, you just get started. Okay. Because yeah. these equations that we go by, um, they're never going to be, you know, on the money. Like they're going to be slightly high, slightly low, whatever it is. The point is, this is why you track and measure. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because you will know very soon if you're doing some simple metrics, like your body weight, some tape measurements, some photos for progress. Uh, and that will basically tell you that you're on the money. Um, if you lose a dramatic amount of weight, that should be an indication that perhaps you've undershot your caloric intake and obviously vice versa. Uh, the second thing I want to say is I always get asked about macronutrient ratios. Always, right? And for the sake of people that are doing it for themselves, again, I would just say this. You can still take into account everything that we've previously said, uh, but perhaps what you might do is this. You might start your diet off, uh, uh, you know, with a fairly even split between carbohydrates and fats. Do that for a fortnight and then perhaps you shift it one way, okay, to be a little bit more dominant in carbs by, let's say, 10% um, and thus lower in fats um, or vice versa. And what that will do is kind of open you up to a little bit of homework as to, okay, cool, you're going to have to do some changes with your portions or meal selection, uh, food selection. Uh, but you also may figure out very quickly what you feel better on. And that counts. That's a subjective measure of like, maybe it's the, you know, um, how you feel um, after you with digesting the meal. That may be important mm -hmm. to you. How you feel um, cognitively. You know, some people do better on, you know, different amounts of these macronutrients. Um, how you feel from a um, reward and a, like a palatability se uh, setting from the options that you now have have available to you. But in essence, I think that this is probably one area that the most overthinking gets done for the general population. Unless you are quite a high-end athlete, uh, I think this is a nuance that you really shouldn't spend too much time on. Yeah, people get like this paralysis by analysis, right? When really they just have to get started because there's no perfect diet. You just have to get started and then start to make changes as the diet's working or not working. So when we, how do we know if a diet's working? Well, for me, I look at like I want someone to lose one, 0 0.5 to 1% of their body weight on a weekly basis. If you start losing 2 3% of your body weight on a weekly basis, I personally would say like except for the first week or so, right? But after that, like over, if we look over a space of a four-week period, um, we want to lose somewhere between two to four percent of your total body weight over a two to four week period until someone gets down to pretty lean levels. Um, but we're again looking at gen pop, um, someone who should be losing about 0.5 to 1% on average over that 16 week period. So they could lose 8% to 16% of their body weight. Um, now, Again, if you're leaner, then we can look at more body fat levels rather than body weight levels. Um, but as a gauge to see if your diet's working, if you're going too aggressive or not aggressive enough, would you say that's an easy gauge for people to understand, Ben? 
Yeah. And the only caveat I would add to that, and you kind of alluded to it right at the end there is, um, uh, you're, you're talking about um, the bell curve of people where we're talking yeah. about the majority that are in the middle, yeah. okay, with their body composition. Because on either end of that, we have, um, if we have someone who's severely obese, we can see these numbers um, come down very quickly, okay? Uh, but by the other end of the um, uh, token, if, you know, you had a male who's already under 10% body fat or a female who's, you know, already under 20% body fat, um, they are already on the side of leanness and thus um, those kind of progress increments are likely to be on the smaller side of what you're saying. Yeah, man, it was really strange. Like one client, probably the client who lost the most amount of weight with me the fastest, she lost 56 kilos in 56 days. Like it was, it was like, honestly, man, like this was the most crazy. And like, I know that's actually like the amount of toxins going in. Like I kept bumping her calories like week on week, but she just kept dropping fat. I don't know. I don't know why. And she kept it off as well, which is amazing. But she just lost. She just dropped weight continuously on a weekly basis. And I was like, she is a hundred percent at this end of the bell curve, right? Like, but we look mm. at someone on the other side of things. If you're like fifty-six kilos and <laughs> you want to get to fifty-three kilos, and it's like you want to just shift as like more of like a body recomp, you want to gain a little bit of lean muscle mass and drop a little bit of fat mass. Then we're not really looking at looking at looking at zero point five to one percent of your body weight per week. We really have to look at the body fat levels. And and then uh, essentially your lean mass as well. Yeah, so this takes us to kind of like more down the measurement side of things, which I think is probably a valid topic for us to touch on for a second. In that, um, again, this comes back to celebrating your wins and knowing that you're on track, right? This is really important. This is one of the main reasons I find where, where people have a lack of compliancy is they just can't tease out the information that they're actually going the right way. Uh, so if you are very overweight or a very big person, generally the even the... A set of scales, basic scales, um, can be a very good metric for you. Okay, because uh, generally speaking, the bigger you are, you can see bigger differences very easy, but perhaps not on the photos immediately. Okay, mm. so perhaps you don't see it as quickly in the photos until that the architecture of this excess fat really starts to sort of drop out, and you can see some really big changes. Um, whereas if you are the, that. I think you said a 56 kilo female aiming for 53 kilos or whatever you said. Yeah. Um, you know, that scale is not going to tell you anything because there is yeah. a natural ebb and flow of fluctuations throughout a week and month. Um, you know, you start um, jumping into those margins and it's hard to tease out the right information. So therefore the way that said individual might track themselves may be more heavily reliant upon something that's, you know, whether it is those photos or whatever it is. So when we're saying this as well, I think the same people who have the problem with tracking calories have the same problem with stepping onto a scale. Um, they think the scale is the demon and it will suck them into hell. Um, but essentially it's, um, it's a number that gives you feedback uh, to understand if you're on track or not on track. Now, the problem is that I find with most people, this is me personally, is I find most people track their scale weight once a week and there can be so many fluctuations based on you know, carbohydrate intake, based on for females, their time of the month, based on how much, you know, did you have a pizza last night and you dropped some fluid or like it can fluctuate so much if you're only weighing yourself on Fridays. With my clients, I actually get them to weigh themselves every single day of the week and they understand it's just a number and then we'll divide that seven days by seven and we'll get a weekly average. So 
your weekly average until they, for, for the, when I'm looking at men, I'll do weight down to about 12% body fat. Um, really looking at this. And um, it's like that weekly average every week wants to go down. Not the daily average you'll have, but you'll have like a new weekly low and you'll have this weekly average. And we want to see that dropping on a weekly basis to go, great, we are heading in the right direction. And, you know, some days are up, some days are down, but that's based on, you know, what's going on, stress, <laughs> fluid intake, training that's going on. But you need those data points to make sure we're heading in the right direction. Do you yeah. do something similar with when we're looking gen pop with scales or no, you go completely different? Okay. So like so many times throughout this podcast, we have just like alienated so many people, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, just by the very nature of like, like what we're talking about. And so, you know, when we started to talk about uh, taking scale weight every day, I mean, that's my first preference as well. Yeah. The caveat is there's definitely some individuals I just don't do that with. So they're on, you know, one of the spectrum where they have this enormously bad relationship with it. And generally yeah. speaking, um, I am much slower in this process. I have to do things in a very different way from that regard. But uh, for most people, okay, yeah. it, it, it's analogous to, do you check your fuel gauge every time you get in the car? Or, or exactly. maybe, maybe just on Saturdays. And then like Fridays is a little bit risky, right? Because you may run out of fuel. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So it's for me, like the scale weight, it's more something I teach with clients. It's like I try not to have too much emotional attachment into it because, as you say, one of the reasons we do it a little bit more frequently is because of the variation. Mm. So don't hold yourself to some kind of um, negative or positive um, uh, outcome based on uh, the daily difference. Let's just get the average over the course of the week because that's where the, um, uh, the useful data is. Exactly, man. And then obviously, if we have that scale weight on those averages plateau for two weeks, then we can go, okay, fantastic. It might be time to start to change the nutrition plan to or change the input versus output, um, stress yeah. levels, sleep levels, like go back and watch last week's podcast for sleep. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we can yeah. start changing those, those data points to make sure we still yeah. keep heading in the right direction. Before we leave this, because um, I think this is probably useful just to the type of people who are going to listen to this podcast. Um, when you measure uh, the other components, so say you're taking tape measurements or something like mm. that, it's about replicability, okay? Yep. So, or if you have an in-body bioimpedance scanner that you go to once a week or once a fortnight, what we try and teach is making sure that you have the conditions in which you go into that um, measurement as similar as possible okay, across the board. So if you usually take your measurements in the morning, and I'm sure most people have done this at some stage, and then you take your measurements one night in the evening because you forgot to do it in the morning, you might see that they're very different. And this is completely normal. And unfortunately, it's not the greatest comparison. Okay. Same thing goes with scale weight, doing it in the morning versus not. Uh, same thing goes with, you know, having poor sleep or, you know, issues with stress. That's going to play a role as well. A female with her, um, her cycle is obviously going to be, uh, play a role in it for females as well. So getting that replicability, um, uh, happening is a very important aspect of getting useful information. 